You are listening to The Local Maximum, episode 124. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to The Local Maximum, uh, another episode of The Local Maximum. Joining me, as usual, Aaron, how you doing today? Uh, a little tired, but uh, doing well. A little tired, but uh, hopefully got a lot of sunlight. It is the lightest day of the year. Uh, I, I did. We went out, and uh, after much uh, much demanding from my children, we ran under the sprinkler. So That's it is great. officially summer now. I've, I've had a great time outdoors. The only thing that has been on my mind, and I know this shouldn't be a big deal. This shouldn't be on my mind. I should just forget about it. But like last week, I somehow misplaced my sunglasses or left them somewhere. And I have backup, so it's not really that big of a deal, but it's like, it's bothering me a lot. I've had them for so many years and it's like, where, where could I have put them? No idea. I, 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 I traced, feel for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I traced them back and I'm like, I, I know my cousin was in the car. He's like, I think you had them. Well, you were wearing them when, when you were in the car. And I'm like, it could just be my glasses, which automatically darken uh, so I don't really know. Um, and then if it, if it, then I know I purposefully didn't bring it out of the car, but now it's not in the car. I don't know. It could be anything that's going. Well, on. don't let it get under your skin. Uh, inevitably, you will find them as soon as you have ordered a replacement pair, or you won't, and it won't matter because you've ordered a replacement pair. Right. Right. All right. So today we've got uh, a big topic, a controversial topic. Um, historically social networks have positioned themselves as neutral platforms where people can share whatever they want to friends and followers. Twitter once called itself the free speech wing of the free speech party. Well, it looks like that party is about to end for better or worse. So uh, I'll tell you why today and we'll talk about it. First, we have two sponsors today, Aaron. Isn't that great? This episode is sponsored by Active State. They do continuous integration and continuous deployment for all your engineers out there. If you work as a software engineer, uh, you might be interested in continuous integration tools to help yourself and to help your company. ActiveState has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adopt for more than 20 years. They are currently looking to improve the state of the world with continuous integration and continuous deployment. So take their survey. You can link it at, uh, it's linked off of localmaxradio.com slash 124. Also, this episode is sponsored by Ryon, R-I-O-N, Raw Internet Object Notation. You might not think you're in the market for data formats, but you are, and especially as a data scientist. And Ryon by NanoSci is a new data format. Later in the show, we'll talk about why you might want to check it out. All right. So why are social networks starting to explicitly fact check? And is this kind of a one-time thing for the crazy world of 2020? Is it because of oh, all the misinformation about the pandemic or Trump or all that? Or is this permanent? Uh, Personally, I think this is permanent. I think there's a ratchet effect every time they, um, every time they fact check, they, they, they want to get involved with what people are saying. And as they do it more and more, they don't ever step back and say, oh, we don't have to do this anymore. That's never going to happen. They kind of actually like doing it. Um, and it's, it's not just that they like doing it. It's like they have a lot of pressure, people who are kind of uh, cheering them on and, and pressuring them to do it more. So first I'll read just three questions that I asked, three thought questions to just uh, kind of say, how, how do we think about fact-checking? How do we think about what these companies are doing? And then, then we'll check out some of the articles. So the three questions that I want people to think about, and if you have answers to these questions of your own, you could email localmaxradio at gmail.com. 
the first one I have is uh, one, the one that I just asked, is the unfact-checked big social network a thing of the past? Uh, was this kind of a, a crazy idea that was never going to work to begin with? Um, and is it actually coming to an end? I could see various positions on that. Two, is it possible to make fact-checking fair? Like, what is the goal? Um, you know, I, I think if, if there's an umpire or referee, uh, nobody says, oh, the, uh, refereeing a, a basketball game, well, that's just impossible. Nobody says that. So is this actually possible? And three, even if it is possible, is it the goal t- for these fact-checkers to be fair, or do they have some other agenda? Are they, are they necessarily going to have some other agenda? So those are the three questions that I have. Let me dive into the New York Times article. I think this is from uh, uh, last month. This is from May uh, 26, 2020. And this is basically when Twitter started fact-checking. They fact-checked Trump's uh, tweet. Now, you might say what... uh, To me, like this... I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of a crazy tweet. I don't think it's like the craziest that I've ever seen from him. I don't know what that says, but... uh, uh, so this is yeah, of, this is of all the tweets to pick to start with fact checking. This this one doesn't stand out as the most egregious. Right. Okay. But anyway, uh, so here's his tweet. So Twitter. Uh, so New York Times wrote about this. Here's the actual tweet. I'll read it. He writes: "There is no way." Zero exclamation point. The zero is in is in uh, is in brackets and parentheses. There is no way zero that mail in ballots will be anything less than substantially fraudulent. Mailboxes will be robbed. Ballots will be forged and even illegally printed out and fraudulently signed. The governor of California is sending ballots to millions of people. Uh, So Twitter has big, bold letters at the bottom. Get the facts about mail-in ballots. And then they link to a CNN headline that says, Trump makes unsubstantiated claim that mail-in ballots will lead to voter fraud. So again, it's interesting to start with this one. I think so it, they say it's unsubstantiated. There's a big difference to me between false and unsubstantiated. It's like, well, we have mail-in ballots. Like, I've seen mail-in ballots before. We have mail-in ballots for, uh, you know, for people who vote, um, who vote from home, you know. But uh, the, there, there is kind of a, lo- uh, not logical, but there's, uh, you know, it's not crazy to say, well, this is going to be very different if everybody's mailing in versus just the people who are doing absentee ballots, where it's, you know, you can't like, um, you can't like go look through mailboxes if you don't know who is voting absentee, uh, which you usually have to apply for. So uh, that would only be a good um, strategy if you are. Uh, if everybody is voting by mail, but or or if a large, you know, if a large, uh, I don't know if the proposal is actually for everyone to vote by mail or just to have it be kind of the standard. But anyway, yes, we don't know if what if Trump's prediction actually is going to come true. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. It probably won't. But it's also like it's it's a prediction about what will happen, and that sounds like something that should be like argued out. Like, what's the you know, what are the reasons it'll happen versus the reasons that'll not happen and not like, you know, not fact-checked in this way. You know, so he says unsubstantiated claim that mail-in ballots will lead to voter fraud. Well, okay, ask him to substantiate it. And like, why why won't it? Like, it, it is it totally impossible that it could lead to voter fraud? Is that like totally, um, you know, 100% impossible on the face of it? Uh, that... That to me sounds uh, like a, a hard, uh, a hard claim to make. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a prediction. Uh, it, if he had said that uh, every time in the past where mail-in ballots have been used, they've been plagued with fraud, uh, that's something that you could probably fact-check a little bit more vigorously. Uh, but even but, then, but but yeah. this is this is not a deviation from what we come to expect from statements from President Trump uh, that that while he may not be uh, telling an outright falsehood, uh, he is he is not uh, encumbered by the facts here. But I don't we don't really know what the uh, you know, I, 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 he's pointing out something right that we don't really know what uh, what the story is with fraud in our elections. Every. Uh, every article I've read seems to like hand wave away a lot of potential problems. And so I don't and I don't think this this I, I think the integrity of our voting system is complex enough that this clearly isn't a, a statement like the sky is green. And it's definitely something that uh, should be debated. Yeah, I, I think this this encounters many of the same problems that that we have uh, in discussions of the uh, illegal immigrant or undocumented immigrant problem. Uh, that by the nature of the problem, uh, it is difficult to put a number on exactly how many they are because they they sure, are yeah. not clearly documented. And so, you know, both sides of the argument are going to come at it and say, well, we believe that there are X million. And the other side's going to say, well, no, there, there really aren't. It's it's a fraction of that. It's, you know, only X million have been confirmed. And, and the counter argument will, would be that, you know, on the one side, these are the numbers that we can statistically prove given the data that's been collected and the other side will say, yeah, that's our point. There's not data on, an, on enough of this that we can't statistically put an upper bound on it. So that's- so this is where you have to have a dis- open discussion and not a, this is an open and shut, um, this, I'm going to tell you what's right and what's not. Yeah, and, and it, it forces you to get beyond the simple soundbite uh, because you know, so you, we, we may be able to agree on, on the results of some study that found that there are X million number of undocumented immigrants. But- uh, what are what are the you know what's the uncertainty? What did they actually measure? Because it's probably a proxy for something else, and you need to have a much more complex discussion to understand the nuances of that, rather than just saying this is the number, it's right or it's wrong. Right. I, people often want to know this is the number, this is what's right. The New York Times told me so, and everybody else is full of it. Yeah, uh, most people don't have be... the patience, uh, even if they have the the statistical uh, acumen to dig down on everything to that level. All right. So here is a quote from the New York Times on the pressure being put on Twitter, which I think is a big story. It's hard to underestimate how much pressure these companies are being put under. Uh, They say, uh, Mr. Trump's high level of activity has brought attention and growth to Twitter. If the company deleted his tweets or altered them, it would escalate accusations from conservative politicians that it censors their political views or was biased against them. But by doing nothing, Twitter was also being misguided, uh, said Joan Donovan, research director at Harvard Kennedy School's uh, Shorenstein Center. I don't know if I... I don't know if the, the whole person is relevant who studies disinformation. Oh, it's interesting. People study disinformation. Well, it, that's so weird to have a study of disinformation. We could have a whole uh, we could have a whole discussion about that. But anyway, to continue this quote, if I comment on the quote as I read the quote, I'm sorry. Okay, to continue the quote, <laughs> if world leaders are not kept to the same standard as everyone else, they wield more power to harass, defame, and silence others. So, um, well, I mean. Hmm. So she's not saying, but so th- that's kind of confusing because he's not being held by the same standards as everyone else. If I tweeted that same thing, nothing would have happened. Um, or if uh, 
if Lady Gaga who, or, or, or Katy Perry, who has the highest Twitter followers, tweeted that, I don't think that would have happened either. Um, but um, or, 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 Justin, or, or Justin Bieber or any of these people. Yeah, I, but, I, I think the uh, to say that they, they must be kept to the same standard as everyone else is a little disingenuous uh, because uh, this this reads much more as a uh, to to steal a, a line about everybody's uh, favorite neighborhood Spider-Man with with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, and so because of his greater reach and and the uh, reputation is perhaps the wrong word, but yeah, the, uh, associated with the office of the president, uh, they are holding his tweets to a higher standard. Right. So it says like, you know, he he they're kind of worried about Trump. He has the power to harass, defame and silence others. But to, to me, it's like the president hasn't had the power to silence anybody. If he had, we would see a very different discussion. I, yeah. It's har- harass and, and defame, Facebook, I think, but, are very different than silence in this context. Yeah, um, yeah. Unless you consider that shouting them down is silencing them. Uh, but but I, I, I take issue with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even, well, the people getting harassed and defamed are not people getting harassed by by the president. Well, you could probably point to something, but it's very mild compared to what's happening from the other side is what I see. It's, it's unambiguous right now. I mean, look, it could flip at some point in the future, but that's not the way it is right now. Well, All right. I mean, has Sorry. has Joe Biden's campaign uh, tried to file a, a, a complaint with Twitter that that they're being bullied with all this sleepy Joe Biden uh, name calling that, that maybe that <laughs> yeah. will get him uh, kicked off of Twitter. Mm. Yeah, maybe. All right. So this is why it's the end of the non-editorial stance from Twitter. Uh, they can't keep this up anymore. The amount of pressure is mounting and leadership of these companies are not in the mood to stand firm. They'll do anything well, to I, appease. I think they would stipulate that they are being non-editorial in that they are just fact checking. Uh, but that is a very, very so thin, uh, yeah, thin curtain to hide behind here. I, um, I, yeah, I'm try. I, I've tried to be neutral on these things uh, in in the past, but I just don't buy it anymore. Um, it's 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 so disingenuous. I've seen too much. Um, let's. I'm getting a little bit. Let, let, let's let's talk about active state, and then we could get back to this discussion. How about that? All right. I, I just want to remind you that uh, that uh, if you are in software engineering, you still have to get your work done, and you could still bring immense value to your company. And so, especially as we get back to work, if you work in software, it just keeps going, keeps going, uh, and and that's what continuous integration is. It's your uh, in continuous deployment. You're deploying code. You're shipping code all the time. So if you're like me, you're consistently thwarted and mystified by your build tools and continuous integration tools at work as a software engineer architect. And there are some of you out there who are really great at this stuff. I, I love you guys. Even if you're one of the crazy coworkers who I complain about sometimes, who I might complain about later. But uh, it's, it's I, I need people who do deployment and integration at my company because it's, um, it's, it's, it would slow us down completely if we didn't have that. So I just want to tell you about ActiveState. ActiveState has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adopt for more than 20 years. ActiveState helps enterprises scale securely with open source languages and gives developers the kinds of tools they love to use. More than 2 million developers, 97% of Fortune 1000 enterprises use ActiveState 
to support mission-critical systems and speed up software development while enhancing oversight and increasing quality. They're inviting us all to do a survey, a survey which I've done, by the way. It's not too hard. Um, I did have to look up a little bit about what Foursquare does, but it's not too hard. And they're trying to understand the state of integration and deployment tools at your company, at my company, at various companies. So definitely check out that localmaxradio.com slash 124 and check out their products as well. Uh, you know, maybe your company is due for a change in this department or maybe you work for a startup and you're trying to set up continuous integration right now. So if you want to learn more about these tools, uh, localmaxradio.com slash 124. It's something every software shop needs today. All right. So three questions that I'm thinking about when it comes to fact checking. Are you ready to go, Aaron? Let's do it. All right. So first, is the unfact-checked big social network a thing of the past? Was this an unsustainable idea to begin with? I say I I am now firmly in the belief that uh, yes, yes, this uh, this this can't go on. They'll never go back to being the unfact-checked, unbiased. And if another unbiased one tries to crop up, they will immediately get crushed. If we're, in order to get around this, we're going to have to do something very creative. I think we will ultimately, but. Um, it's not. It's going to take time. And I suppose um, if we've hit that point, then it's it's a moot question to ask: Was this a sustainable idea at, at, to begin with? Since we've we crossed the Rubicon, there it's it's too late to yeah. go back. I just I want people to know that internal activism at tech companies by employees it's getting to an unbelievable. For people who don't know, like they're using all the Q and A sessions. Uh, all of the all hands to demand from their employers, their executive teams, that they need to do more to support the cause. And there's never any pushback against any of these questions. Yeah, I'm, I'm in a slightly different position since the mothership for my company is based in Europe and we have a rather small operation in the U.S. So the, the dynamic is, is, is a little bit okay. different there. Um, yeah, no, I mean... That, that combined with the fact that prior to my current role, uh, I've mostly worked in the defense sector. And, and while that does not uh, completely change the equation there, I'd say there's a disproportionately high percentage of, uh, of conservative-leaning folks in that, oh, gotcha. in that okay. business space uh, than, than, uh, than average for a, a high-tech industry. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I would be embarrassed. I don't consider myself a conservative, but if conservatives were, like, you know, demanding this stuff from employees— in, from from like their employers at Q and A, like I would be just as like embarrassed uh, for what's going on. Like I just don't want the workplace to be so politicized. You wouldn't believe some of the things that I've seen. And there used to be uh, the expectation that that you could separate politics from friendship, and that certainly you could separate politics from work. Uh, and that is rapidly eroding if it has not completely done so already. Right, right. And I, I have other examples as well. Prior to, to the current management, the head of, of my office when I first hired on, um, who is no longer with the company, but he was, he was very much uh, right of center. Uh, and and he, was, he was not uncomfortable about, about sharing those opinions in the workplace, which uh, certainly made me cringe a little bit. So, so it's, yeah. it's maybe the other side of, of, of your opinion. And I, I don't think he was using it to drive company policy by any means, but... Uh, you know, we, we would go to the cafeteria at work and, and political topics would come up. And Oh, the cafeteria? Forget it. I just yeah. get up and go. <laughs> there, there were definitely times when I, I wished that we hadn't opened the door to this topic. 
Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so right. Uh, so there's an article from recently, or the beginning of the month, Facebook employees stage virtual walkout to protest Trump's vo- posts. So Facebook is evil because they censor people. Uh, employees are like, not evil enough, not evil enough. <laughs> that, that, that's what I feel like. That's the world I think we live in now. But no, they... they uh, uh, and, and, and Trump is like a great foil because like people have such emotional reactions to Trump that you could be like, OK, you know, anything we could do against Trump is 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 good, even though you're not. But then you're not thinking through the implications of what you're saying, which is give this company a virtual monopoly of sorts, uh, you know, the ability to say who can and can't speak. Yeah, there's there's a serious discussion to be had about means versus ends uh, that. Uh, and 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 I'm not claiming to have always been a purist on this, but but it's very easy when when you're very passionate about a topic to uh, say to hell with the means. Uh, I'm all about the ends, and I'm willing to to sacrifice certain things to get there. Uh, and it's very difficult to walk back from that once you've once you've done. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, so, look, uh, I, I think a lot of it has a, a lot of us have have had a uh, a revelation about things similar to that uh, in the wake of 9-11 and uh, in the second uh, Iraq war that uh, we, we may have thought that it was worth it was worth it at the time because of, of our emotional reactions and the, the things that we believed at the moment. Uh, and we realize now that we've we did some things that we're not proud of and that we really shouldn't have let ourselves get to. And, and I think we're seeing something similar in, in the tech sector now with these platforms that uh, people are are very willing to sacrifice freedoms uh, and and rights in in order to pursue what they feel is a higher goal. Yeah, means and ends are man. Ends justify the means are is such is like the oldest trick in the book. And I just think you know well, and, and it, it's, it's simple. It's people, you know what's right and wrong, and you can analyze it. But people have just been. I feel like you know the whole. Um, what, what's the whole thing with the kid? Like, if, if so-and-so walked off a cliff, would you too? Yeah. Sometimes I feel these days everybody is walking off a cliff, and nobody remembers that. Well, and it's, it's an escalation problem or, or a tragedy of the commons that if, if you are uh, competing with somebody who has decided to abandon the, uh, the means uh, and they are only concerned with the ends, that it's, it's hard to, uh, to stand up against them without getting down into the mud and playing dirty. Yeah. Uh, that that there's there's an inherent advantage to uh, to to not playing by the rules, so to speak. Yeah. Well, so look, uh, this the, I don't see how anyone could argue with a straight face. Oh, this is just to stop Trump. This this won't go beyond Trump. Once Trump is out of power, uh, you know, Facebook and whatever will stop doing this, and it'll be uh, it'll be all free and open again. That you. I can't see anyone arguing yeah, that well, with a straight face. Everybody's so, talking in the context of the coronavirus about, oh, there's going to be a new normal or some people saying, you know, when we get back to normal. And and I think this is an area where there will be a new normal that uh, you, you mentioned earlier, a ratchet effect. This you, you you may be able to walk back a little bit from this, but we're not going back to a day to a, to an era before this was a thing. It's, no, be any any heterodox opinion, any opinion outside the mainstream will be suspect, and those are yeah. the types of opinions. But, sometimes they're crazy, but that's where progress comes from. Yeah, bar, barring a major reset, which uh, will not be uh, well, clean and yeah. painless. No, I think it'll be the downfall of these companies ultimately, but it might take a really long time. Like, yeah. Well, and yeah. the question is, will it take the nation with it? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, here's an article from The Guardian from April that I thought was interesting. So this stuff, this is before the stuff with, with Trump. I mean, there's other stuff with Trump going on. But, uh, you know, they were using something from, so this is Guardians from the UK, right? And so they were, there was like this, this well, uh, I, you know, now I don't even know how, if someone, if they, if they describe someone as like crazy, anti-Semitic or whatever, if that's even true. But let's just take that at face value. They're talking about someone who was, you know, uh, spreading the meme that these 5G towers are causing coronavirus. And he thinks that the, quote, Zionists are involved. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> look, that's the case where I'm pretty sure he's talking about Jews there. But uh, look, and they're like, oh, my God, if he keeps on like spreading this disinformation, uh, people are going to go out there and they're going to destroy these uh, 5G towers, uh, which is um, which seems to be the, uh, the the worst thing in the world. Um, so. Yes, at least in this point, the target is even more clear. Like, yeah, that guy is batshit. No question about it. Um, <laughs> assuming that the Guardian was was accurate enough about what he's saying, but it, but it sounds like uh, it, it. They can't be that far off. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, yeah, but but the the problem with the with the Guardian article is like, yeah, they they might have started to stop this guy who's batshit, but they haven't. Uh, you know, they haven't done enough. They need to stop everybody who is saying anything remotely in the ballpark and they need to do more. They need to do more. Any piece of information. And you, I could see where this is leading. It's like any piece of information that uh, interacts with that, 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 that conflicts with my worldview must be stomped out. And it starts with someone who's obviously completely insane, but then it moves further and further until it's until it sorts of starts to eat itself, right? And and they like the fact that this is working. Like they got rid of Milo Yiannopoulos. That guy, I found him so annoying. I found some of the things he said so over the top. But yeah, and some of the stuff he did to other people on Twitter was not right. But they got rid of him on Twitter. It worked. So they're like, yeah, it worked. Let's keep on rolling down the field, rolling down the field. Keep on, you know, they love this power. And they're just going to keep on uh, pushing forward until, you know, until the, until the end of time. As long as, as, long as they're not stopped, they're going to keep pushing for more. And that really concerns me now because these crazy people, nobody was going to – a large percentage of the population was never going to buy their stuff to begin with. Yeah, I mean, there, that's how I feel. I, I, I'm just giving you the, I'm just giving you my feeling here. There's there's a, a popular quotation that uh, I, I don't have it word for word, but it's something to the effect of uh, that that free speech is uh, is not required for popular opinions. That uh, th- this what what they're Absolutely. what they're doing is is running out the the. You know, non-orthodox uh, uh, opinions or non-approved ones, and that—that's precisely what the the concept of free speech is supposed to protect. Um, where you get into gray areas is where it goes beyond simply speech, um, and it's you know incitement to violence or or fighting words or or other things that that maybe have a, a more complex uh, legal yeah. angle to them, um, and and that's not necessarily an easy thing to determine, uh, but it's very tempting. Uh, from from a liability and a to satisfy their uh, whether the voices are internal or, or external that are the loudest uh, to cut a little bit closer to the bone there and and make sure that they've they've trimmed away everything that could possibly be problematic instead of trying to to walk the very fine line on the edge of 
of what's free speech and and what's actually you know criminal uh, wrongdoing. Right. No, yeah, that that uh, along the edges thing is 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 not what's happening here. And but what you said about free speech, I mean, look, I've I've read a fair amount of political philosophy. There are some political philosophers who are totally against free speech, but the ones that are you know foundational to um, to like you know are are freedom of 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 thought and the freedoms that we enjoy in the United States and some other places in around the world they've all said the same thing anyone from and from different parts of the political spectrum anyone from like both Jefferson and Hamilton all the way like to Martin Luther King they all said this they were all free speech maximalists and basically now uh, people just want to turn their back on all of that um, I feel like uh, a statue of, of Teddy Roosevelt or Martin Luther King will come down uh uh, before a statue of Lenin these days, and all these statues are coming down. I've never heard of a statue of Vladimir Lenin coming down, and there are so, there's one in, here in New York, you know. So what? It's uh, it's uh, it's um, well, I, if you can't see what's going on, I don't understand. I I'd like to talk to you because if uh, well, or, or or if you could tell me that something different is going on here, I I it, it seems like a it, it seems like the world's gone crazy, Aaron. Yeah, well, and and, and it's. You have to take into consideration the opinions of of far far right wing groups like the ACLU, who uh, take a stance <laughs> to protect outrageous and offensive speech. In fact, uh, reaching back well, they into used the, to well, yeah, re- reaching back into the mists of time as far back as as two thousand ten. Um, you you may remember uh, uh, Fred Phelps and the Westboro Baptist Church. Oh yeah, they they protested us at Foursquare once. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't there. They 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 did like a march around New York, and basically I I was like, what do they have against us? We're just a startup, and uh, so so the they, ACLU they, they, actually hold on. Filed... I just say finish. Yeah, they, they were protesting us for trying to turn a profit, which we ah. haven't done in ten years. <laughs> maybe they like us now. <laughs> so so back in uh, in 2010, the ACLU actually filed a friend of the court brief supporting the. Uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, and and with 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 this little tidbit in there. To be clear, the ACLU strongly disagrees with the protesters' message in this case, but even truly offensive speech is protected by the First Amendment. Uh, and, yeah. and they go on in more detail. But uh, if I, I I think I think that gets the the core of the message across. Then the question is, have we have we abandoned that? Have we shifted our, our Overton window? Uh, yeah. Or. Or are we just being drowned out by other voices in this discussion here? I, I think people have been taught differently uh, these days uh, that, you know, um, free speech is not a very high value. And uh, I fear we'll pay the price. You know, yeah. um, well, and, and I guess it, 2010 was was either before or in the early, very early days of of uh, considering your privilege and microaggressions. And, oh, and many I, of the I things got that. that have become de rigueur. I got that as like I got that in Yale. I I, I actually got that at a summer camp in 1998. Oh wow! Uh, so yeah, no, that that's been going on for a long time, but it's sort of been but it's been bubbling up, you know, um, to the mainstream uh, for for a long time. But I, you know, when I saw it at at, at at summer camp, when I saw it at Yale, I was just like, oh, these are just, you know, these are just uh, insane people that I don't have to deal with, and <laughs> now. Uh, it's different, but yeah, no, I really don't get it. Like there are people out there that hate me that not hate me personally, but like, you know, m- maybe hate that a group that I'm in, um, 
uh, whether it's Westboro Baptist Church hating Foursquare or whether it's, you know, th- there's a lot of anti-Semitic stuff online. I don't, I've never had a problem with freedom of speech. I, I don't know why all of a sudden people are taught to have that problem, but that's the way it, that's the way it is these days, I guess. Um, and by the way, freedom of speech, I'm talking about the broader freedom of speech, not just the First Amendment, but these you know, I, I know people can say, oh, these are private companies. But no, there's um, they are where our discussions are taking place. It, it doesn't mean that you have a First Amendment right to say anything on those. Obviously, it's not a political right. But there is a certain freedom of speech, like in the university freedom of speech, where, you know, if, if you want to have a full discussion, uh, you need to hear all voices. Yeah, ag- agreed. And uh, I, I think... Yeah, maybe to be crystal clear on that, we're not saying that these platforms don't have the right to uh, to censor and restrict. But uh, if they are going to do that, then uh, they need to kind of get off their high horse of being an impartial platform. They can't have it both ways. Right. Okay. so to go on to question number two, is it possible to make fact checking fair? Uh, What's the goal? Um, you know, is the goal just to make sure that people aren't misinformed? So I, I, I sort of thought this about this a little bit. Like, you can say that there are fair people in other areas of life, like an umpire or, or a referee in sports. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem saying, hey, it's possible to have a fair referee. And even when you get something even more complicated, like a judge uh, in, a, in, a, you know, in, in, in court, um, like, yes, you could have a biased judge. I'm sure there are a lot of biased uh, judges in history. I'm sure there are judges on the take, but I don't necessarily, um, I don't think, oh, like the judicial system is screwed because it's impossible to be a completely unfair judge. No, I think that there are principles. I, look, I didn't go to law school. I didn't go to judge school. There isn't judge school. But uh, you know, look, I think that there are principles that they follow, uh, which requires a lot of learning, by the way. It's not just you know based on emotion and, and all that. Like If you want to be a judge, you have to learn a lot and you have to read a lot of historical uh, examples and think through them. But um, I think that, um, and a judge will be the first to tell you, even a very left-wing judge will tell you, like, no, uh, court cases are not decided by, like, what the majority of the population want. Like, you actually have to be careful about what evidence is shown, what's allowed, what's not. The process is very important in order for it to be fair. And so I don't, I, I don't think that the, the idea of a judge is, is in some way uh, impossible. And yet, when I think about information on these social networks, it seems impossible to me. Do you, do you see why I th- I, I'm... Uh, how, how do you feel about that, Aaron? I feel like those are two yeah, different things. Yeah, I think the sports to... analogy is instructive. Because um, yeah. uh, we've, we've seen... Uh, you, you, you mentioned umpires, and, and uh, I guess I think in baseball there's usually a team of umpires out out on yeah. the on the diamond, sure. or or in football they have have several referees out there. Um, in in both those sports, we've seen in recent years uh, the introduction of uh, what's what's the terminology? Is it uh, review? Yeah, video review. Uh, yeah. So so pre- previously it used to be that you know whatever the the referee or the umpire on the on the ground what he was, his call was final because once the play has happened uh, you you can't second guess the guy who was there and saw it 
Uh, but right. now that we have video from multiple angles, it is possible that if if the ref if there's a disagreement between the team of referees, or if one of the referees is not entirely confident in what he's observed, that he can you know call call on the the uh, the team in the back room to review the tape, uh, or or one of the teams in some cases can can demand a review if they don't agree with the call. Uh, and I I think that makes sense because we have video evidence, we have you know measurable uh, data there. And so we can get closer to the truth rather than relying on uh, what, you know, witness uh, witness statements functionally, which uh, can be unreliable. Um, right. So I, that's I, much I, more difficult, though, when we get into a case where uh, we're not purely talking about facts, uh, where opinions are, are a piece of it and and perception uh, and perspective uh, really put, put a put a. A filter on what we're viewing here, uh, and and so I think anything political quickly runs the risk of falling into that area. Yeah, yeah. Also, like you would have to be an expert in a lot of different areas. Um, you'd have to be a medical expert. You'd have to be an epidemiologist. You'd have to be an expert on our voting system. I don't think that Facebook, even Facebook, can employ or route to all the experts that are yeah, there. Well, when now, I, I think when like an organization like Snopes, the, the theory was that they had a, a huge panel of experts available to them so that they could get the right person to address a particular question. Um, right. But but it really comes down to framing, I think. Um, yeah, Snopes that, has run into so many problems as well. well. Yeah. To, to yeah. have an effective fact-checking, you need to very narrowly frame the the statement and the facts against which you are checking, um, yeah. which, which is virtually impossible to do with a lot of... Uh, statements in the political field right so i actually started this podcast uh the, the local maximum started t- talking about this way back in episode nine i did a solo show on fixing facebook and the solution that i recommended was to actually offload the the uh the role of fact checkers to various other companies and let the consumer decide which ones they're going which one they're going to subscribe to and so to have a little bit of competition there uh, the problem with that that's going to be now is you know the activists are going to say that's not good enough because people are going to go to the wrong fact checker and they're just going to give a completely different uh completely skewed view of the world. But I think at least if we had that, then we'd know what their stances were and we'd see, you know, we'd have it as a whole. It wouldn't just be one Trump tweet. It would be this fact check organization. What is it about their whole world that you could kind of study it a little bit more, but all that nuance is not going to be allowed. Yeah. Well, and, and I, think I think it would be interesting though. This, this is, this is maybe getting ahead to, uh, to your, your third question a little bit, but I, I think that goes counter to uh, one of the main objectives of fact-checking here, and that's to make sure that uh, the the right facts are being seen by everybody, not just the people who uh, perhaps agree with the fact-checking approach of a certain organization. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So you but don't want I it to be, it would be... I, I agree with the the approach that, yeah. that Snopes or Insert or the company well, here takes, and so I use them as a a fact-checking resource, you want it to be Snopes is right. They know how to do this. And I want them to fact-check everything. And nobody should be able to, to read any information on the internet that hasn't been run through that filter. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think it would be interesting. Like if, if I could, I could set my fact checker, I could set it to Snopes. I could set it to the New York times fact checker. It's, it's or like I being could, able to choose your search engine. Uh, yeah. You know, or I could set I, it if, to, if I don't want everything to be recorded by, uh, by, by Google, I can duck, duck, go it. Yeah. 
I could set it to far right conservative fact checker, whatever I want. And then I could, you could actually see what the differences are. But yeah, again, that's not what they're trying to do here. Um, so, OK. Yeah, they're, uh, they're not looking for a market solution. Right. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, OK, who and what to fact check to begin with? Uh, that's obviously a question. There is way too much, uh, way too many tweets, just tweets alone, not just not even counting what's on Facebook and whatnot to start um, to start fact checking. Uh, so they have to decide what to what to look at. Maybe they could look at stuff from like the big players like Trump and other things. But as you point out, this is an editorial decision in, in and of itself. Yeah, well, it's it's in, in terms of the statement itself, but also the notability of the person making it and, and the, the field in which they're making. So uh, like you said before, that, uh, you know, when when Trump makes a statement about mail in ballots, uh, that rises perhaps to the level of being fact checked, but not when uh, uh, Lady Gaga or, or or another, you know, Twitter celebrity who is not considered to have expertise in that field. Not that I think many people would say that Trump has expertise in elections, but because of his position, his opinion there is given more weight. Right, right. So, all right. Um, yeah, and, and a lot of this is a matter of interpreting data, not, um, you know, and, and I'll give the examples of hydroxychloroquine to begin with, but even the election one is, it's not just this is the data, it's this is the right way to interpret the data. Uh, and that makes me nervous. As we know from Bayesian inference, there's a lot of wiggle room there, a lot of... Um, you know, uh, you could set your priors differently there. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it's it, it. They give the impression that there is uh, an objective right way to interpret data when there really isn't. So. Right. So hydroxychloroquine is an interesting one. It's a political hot button issue. The data goes back and forth. It's great for coronavirus. It's not so good for coronavirus. As I mentioned before, the French study that I looked at a couple months ago, uh, it looked like it was helpful in treating COVID, but unclear how much, like more, more had to be done, a small sample size. But then like, you know, there was this fake study that was published or it wasn't a fit. It was a, they, they faked the numbers and it said, oh, uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine is terrible. The news trumpeted that out because now it's a, um, it's a, it's a, uh, partisan issue. And then the New York Times had to issue uh, uh, a retraction, or I don't think it was a New York Times retraction, uh, but they they reported on the retraction of those studies. So who knows, it could go back and forth more. Uh, but um, it's sort of like, you know, I could see a fake study coming out, and then the fact checker taking the fake study and using it to fact check other people like that. Um, and if you think that won't happen, that's naive. Yeah, but bad bad data tends to persist, uh, especially out in the internet. Uh, especially if it if it's like if it furthers your if it like yeah, fits in your worldview. So even it's, it's if it's been fact checked, it's very difficult to to kill it off completely. Yeah, um, and, 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 and nowadays, both sides of the equation. Like, like the way the the media. Um, you know, the, the way the media cycle goes, all that matters is what's said in the 24 hour period that we're talking about this issue. And then it moves on. So that snap judgment is really matters. Like these these fact checkers aren't going to have the time to really look into these things. Yeah. And we've seen that. I think we've talked before about like uh, reporting on on diet and uh, and any number of studies. I, I think this we may have touched on in our discussion of P values that uh, the media is particularly bad at taking scientific studies and uh, communicating the correct interpretation of the data and the results yeah. uh, that that you're you're 
you're better off betting that they've gotten the uh, the interpretation 180 degrees off of of truth uh, than than to assume that they're accurate in their reporting on it. So that right. that plays into to the scenario here, um, even when fact checking is in play. Okay, I'm gonna. Um Jump to a, a, another sponsor right now, if that's all right, because I want to tell you about Ryan, R-I-O-N. I am really happy that they sponsored the show because it's, look, it's, it's, you know, it's not a huge company. It's like a, a, a small, innovative project um, that someone wants to get out there and they want to find someone to, some people to collaborate with or to, to learn from. So I think that's great. Um, so anyway, we're talking about data formats here. You might think data formats. What do I care about data formats? But guess what? You use data formats. Aaron, you use data formats, uh, whether you know it or not. I use you know JSON a lot. Um, so if you're a software engineer or a data scientist, uh, you know how you store and transfer your data can make your life easier or harder. It can make your life faster or slower. It can make things more expensive or less expensive. Um, so you want to learn about data formats, um, you know, standard ones. You know all the standard ones, but uh, they're trying to. Uh, this is something that that people are trying to do that's really innovative. And so, if you want to make some improvements, I encourage you to check out Ryan. R-I-O-N, Raw Internet Object Notation. If you need to export, import, store, or exchange large amounts of data on a regular basis, then you can benefit from a compact, fast, and versatile data format. Ryan is a binary format, which is both compact and fast to read and write. A data structure serialized to Ryan requires 20 to 50% fewer bytes than the same data structure uh, with JSON. The fewer bytes also translates to 20 to 50% faster read and write speeds. You could learn more about Ryan at uh, localmaxradio.com slash 124. I'll link it there. All right, so let's, um, let's uh, wrap up this issue about, well, no, we still have to get to number three, right? Are the fact checkers even going to try to be a dispassionate arbiter of information? I think we said that's, uh, that's not even going to be their purpose. Uh, perhaps this is just going to be a team of activists because it seems like the only thing that people want to uh, fact check are the types of things that activists, political activists, would be interested in. So yeah, I'm, I'm uh, not willing to discount that, that, uh, that unbiased uh, fact checkers in the pursuit of truth might be out there, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a nature of of the system that uh, those most attracted and most passionate about uh, playing in, in the area are going to be those with an activist uh, axe to grind. That that's, yes. that's who's going to be attracted to, to this process. So I linked, I linked to this article, uh, the national post. Do you know what that is? Is that like a, I, I'm not familiar with them now. National. All right. Well, I've, I'll have to look at it, <laughs> but I'll link to this. Obviously someone's saying it. Facebook's fact checker, Lead Stories is staffed exclusively by Democrat Party donors, CNN staffers, and defeat Trump activists. So let's actually see what the National Post is. I'm sure it's not like the New York Times is saying this, but uh, it's it's hard to... (laughs) I don't know. Uh, But anyway, I... I, it feels true. I, I know I shouldn't say it feels true, but it feels true. Um, and it based on my experience in the, in the industry. So one final thought that I want to leave you with, what is the role of the engineer at these companies uh, in this? So a lot of engineers listen to this show. I'm an engineer. There's only so much you could push back, but you can actually push back even without quitting your job. If you don't outright refuse to work on a project, which is not always, which usually isn't even quitting. Uh, engineering managers and, and uh, product managers actually do feel the heat when there isn't buy-in. So definitely uh, express that. 
prepare to walk away from projects when they get out of control. Find alternatives. Um, personally, I'm working to try to get to a point where I could be more independent. I should have done it years ago, but actually, Foursquare has been a pretty great place to work, uh, so I haven't had to. But now I'm sort of thinking, okay, um, yes, Foursquare is still a great place to work, but I want to you know, see if I could consult, see if I can you know, get income elsewhere to be able to, you know, uh, to be able to say, okay, uh, let, let me try to make sure that everything I'm working on, uh, now and, and especially in the future is aligns with my value. Also, you could be on the committees to determine the design and implementation of these projects and systems. You might be surprised, but at least nominally, these companies have to often feel like they have to have an open, uh, discussion when they implement policies about fact checking and, um, you know, uh, if you're an engineer, you could actually write some of those policies, and uh, engineers are usually in the in a very good position to make sure that uh, you know a, 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 to make sure there are like fallbacks in there to see that a, a system is fair. Um, usually, you know, engineers working alongside, um, and you could do it without like you know being a dick about it sometimes. Um, so, <laughs> yes, but. Is there a way to really push back against the fanatics if there are real fanatics at your company? I don't know. That remains to be seen. Um, all right. So yeah, I, I think I think a big piece of that that makes uh, the the tech world much more susceptible to this is uh, the rate at which companies pivot. Um, mm. That uh, I I have uh, a long history of working in the defense industry, um, which has certain ethical quandaries associated with it. However. Uh, Pretty much all of those companies, uh, when I applied to them, I knew they were working in the defense industry. I had a fairly good idea of the types of programs they worked on. It was not a surprise to me. Um, right. I don't know if that can be said for everybody who, who uh, hired on at, at Google or, or Facebook uh, or, or Amazon yeah. um, because ten, you know maybe there aren't that many employees who have been there for a decade. But uh, if you joined 10 years ago, uh, they may not have been doing face recognition and they may not have had military contracts. And, and so there's, there's a lot of things that have changed. And so uh, the, the employee backlash is, is perhaps uh, more, more reasonable to be expected there. Um, you, it's, you it can't, sounds like you the, can't, back, the backlash going the opposite direction for now. Yeah, you, you can't yeah. as easily say, well, you knew what you were getting into. Why, why did you bother to, to come yeah. work for a company like this? Uh, maybe that's changing now that, that there's a lot more public discussion about these types of concerns. But, but I guess the, the fact that these companies are also ginormous conglomerates uh, and, and have their, their fingers in so many different sectors uh, plays into that as well. Yeah. Now, even a place like Foursquare, we're working on different things all the time. I remember when I was working in Attribution, like they wanted to do a project with Facebook and me and the engineering team really didn't want to do it. And so, <laughs> yeah, we pushed back and uh, no, I'm not Foursquare and Facebook. It's not it's public knowledge. Yeah, they partner with Facebook on some things, but we didn't want to do this particular project. So we ended up not doing it. Uh, we ended up prioritizing other things because the teams are given a lot of autonomy um so yeah, well and, and an important piece of that but is, then it ends up that you had an alternative it wasn't simply yeah. that you came and said no we refuse to do this work it was uh that you kind of redirected it towards we we see a better use of these resources as being you know such and such a type of program yeah and that's that's a valuable lesson to be made there that uh you Come, come with solutions, not with problems. Yeah, but another the, another reason why you know we got what we wanted in that case is that then Facebook got into the whole Cambridge Analytica thing, and so Facebook was like, "Oh, we're we're deferring all this ad stuff that we're doing." That, yeah, uh, dodge so the bullet there. Anything that yeah, so it was like we we kind of um, 
I, if Facebook wanted to go full steam ahead and was throwing all this money at the company, I don't know what the discussion would have been. But at least on the margin, I think we pushed it in, in some in some way. Um, all right. So I want to end with a, a quote that you found from a blog uh, about fact checking. Um, take it away. What, what was this one that you found? Yeah. So so the, the title was The Perils of Social Media, Social Media Fact Checking. Um, and I think it was actually it was originally a Facebook post and then it was it was reposted to this blog. But um, it's the 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 money quote is is really the section that I'll read here. Uh, quote, fact checking, unfortunately, isn't what we think it is. Despite the superficial appearance, fact checking isn't a helpful tool for determining the truth and for forming an accurate opinion. Instead, it is actually an in-out group filter, which segregates people by belief and value, while allowing each group to believe they hold the factual high ground and to claim any subsequent moral position, which proceeds from being factually correct. Facts don't change people's minds. Uh, and it goes on in that vein, but uh, it, it raises some very good points uh, that uh, fact-checking, uh, Many people who, who are endorsing the idea of fact-checking uh, may see it as, well, if we can all agree on the facts, that we're all on the same page, then we will be able to bring people together. Uh, and, and I think we're seeing that that is not how this, no, this different tool facts, of different, fact-checking uh, is being used. Yeah, uh, but even the same facts is different interpretation. It's, yeah, but... Yeah, um, the, yeah. The, the, by the nature idea... of how the facts are checked is causing us to divide yeah. further. I understand that statement facts don't change people's minds, but sometimes they do. I mean, I I feel like, yes, I've seen facts that I've dismissed, uh, I'm sure, uh, that, you know, um, because it didn't fit into what I'm doing. We all do that, but like, I'm sure we've all had cases where you've seen facts and you say, okay, I need to rethink this thing. Well, yeah, so, and, and, and as uh, advocates of Bayesian thinking, we, we can't adopt that statement as immutable, uh, an immutable truth. However, yeah. uh, facts alone do not change people's minds that someone needs yeah. to be first. They need to be put in a, a mental state where they are receptive to having their mind changed. And then you can present them with the facts. And that is almost never what happens. Uh, certainly not on social media. Usually social media facts are being used uh, as a weapon. Uh, and, and that causes people to only uh, further entrench their defenses. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Let's uh, let's turn to machine learning now. I know I, I love discussing machine learning on this program. <laughs> Just a quick discussion because there's this the, there's these general generative models going around Twitter, um, and basically uh, what it does is it's a face face depixelizer. So it if you have a picture of your face, Aaron, and then you know if you pixelize it in order to um, you know let's say. Uh, uh, you know what it is to pixelate an image, right? I don't have to explain that. Yeah, uh, yeah, to, to, okay. to obscure uh, detail. Right, right, right. So it just looks like boxes. Um, the question was, can I build a machine learning algorithm to generate the original face? So this would have been useful. I remember 10 years ago when I was on online dating, there was something called crazyblinddate.com. Were you ever on that? I used it like twice. I didn't use it all the time. But I, was, I'm not familiar you, with that one. Yeah, okay. You, you, you were set on a blind date with someone, but you only saw their pixelated face. Uh, <laughs> but if I had this, I could actually regenerate their full face and cheat the system. <laughs> Uh, but, but, um, look, uh, we, I, that went out a long time ago, but anyway, uh, so, uh, they, they built something here and 
Oof, this is not what you want to see. Uh, so this is a uh, Google research. It's actually, it's a cool project, but someone took, uh, and by the way, it's very easy to come up with the training data for this, right? Because all you have to do is take tons of real pictures of people, which there are tons on the internet, and then pixelate them, and then you have your, uh, your uh, your example and your answer. The answer is the real image. The example is the pixelated image. And so uh, they fed it a picture of a pixelized Obama and it turned into a white guy, uh, like a very white guy with maybe the same <laughs> face shape and maybe like similar ears to Obama, but that's it. Um, and then people put in other ones and it just turned everyone into white men and women. And uh, so uh, that... Um, well, look, I don't think it's necessarily, look, this wasn't like, um, this is a sort of a research, a test project. So for, it wasn't like they've got the, uh, you know, the, the, the PC place, police after them as, but it's an interesting think piece. Like, okay, uh, let's think about this because, uh, is this going to cause, is this an example of bias and what is, what is causing it here? And I think that's an interesting question. Um, are, did they just train it on a bunch of, on a bunch of white guys? Um, or is it that the training data needs to be balanced? Or is it that, um, you know, their algorithm is somehow, uh, you know, is somehow, um, a, a lot of times when I design um, algorithms, I think about, okay, if I have a case that's an edge case, I have some of that edge case in the data. But is it true that if I actually encounter this edge case, it's going to say, okay, make sure this is similar to these edge cases in the data? Uh, is, is that, it, it, did they like fail to do that? Is, is there some piece of their, um, you know, statistical model off? It could be any of these things. Or it could just simply be that their training data uh, is, is biased. But it's, it's really fascinating to check out. So I'm just going to post that and, uh, and basically make of that what you will. I think it's sort of interesting. Another thing is like, what's the real applications of this? Is this just a parlor trick? Um, well, I mean, if it works out very well, I could see like security cameras. It's almost scary, right? Even if like, even if there's a, uh, even if you have a very cheap camera, uh, if this actually works well, you could well, really. This, this is the future that's been promised to us by yeah. CSI, being able to get a, a grainy pixelated image and say, enhance, enhance, right. enhance, and have it come out crystal clear and solve the mystery. Yeah. Now, the problem is statistically enhanced. So first of all, if I have a picture of um, a bookshelf, but I can't see the individual things of the bookshelf, the enhance will not add those things in because there's no indication that those things are in in the pixels. It'll probably add a clean bookshelf. So uh, enhance almost works so far. And you have to be careful because it's going to be very, um, it, it's such a blend of reality. And or, or do you have an algorithm that's going to uh, interpolate and say, well, uh, in all the pictures of bookshelves I've seen that were, you know, had books of this color, that book actually turned out to be the following volume. Right, right. So it's sort of a blend of, um, of reality and just posting in things from, other pictures that it's seen that it could be extremely deceptive. Um, now, there are some good things that could come out of it. Look, like you could take old videos and old photos and sort of enhance them to HD. Like, like we all have old, old black and white photos and, you know, they're, they're, you know, algorithms that will colorize it. And uh, imagine seeing, you know, uh, photos of your uh, great, great grandparents. I once saw a photo. I, I actually today, my, my parents were showing me a photo. My mom was showing me a photo of my great uncle on a on a basketball team 
uh, someone po- reposted that on Facebook in like 19, whatever, early 1900s. Like it was black and white. Um, it's like, oh, that's a that's a crazy photo. It's kind of like those old photos that you, this wasn't Yale, but you see old photos on the wall at Yale of, um, you know, those black and white teams from the 1800s. Like you could enhance those and make them HD and, you know, see the uh, um, and see the like texture of the people's skins and all that. I don't know why I'd want to do that. But yeah, you could bring the past to life like that. And I actually think there's uh, something to that or making yeah, video in HD. I, but, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but uh, some of the earliest uh, video footage captured from, you know, the, the late 1800s, um, they've, they've gone back and, and basically done uh, remastering of it in, in, in like 4k and it, and it looks amazing. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's all because they've, they have, very sophisticated uh, interpolation algorithms. Right. So this is, um, I, I think it was called They Will Not Grow Old. That was the um, World War I yep. uh, do, uh, documentary by Peter Jackson. And some of the footage there is, up, you know, rang, is, and I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they used machine learning or something else, but it's really clear, crystal clear footage from 1914 1915 and you almost feel like you're there and i i feel like with these algorithms you can um you know we'll, we'll just get better and better at that so that to me is the coolest application but then there's a lot of cases here that that worry me where it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be like in jurassic park the original movie where they made the dinosaurs but they put some frog dna in there and uh, and screwed up the whole park. The whole park screwed. No, but uh, everyone died. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but um, you know, it's going to be. This is the reality, but not quite. We added some stuff. Some not some cut and paste from other photos, but the machine took ideas from other photos and posted them in there, um, which is uh, something that uh, uh, you know, it's 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 a blend of reality and fantasy that uh, we're all going to have to get used to. Yeah. Who, who, who knows where it will lead? Uh, so, you know, and as with everything else, be wary of garbage in garbage out. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Oh, I saw you posted the, the train arrival. That was one of the old, that's from the 1800s. All right. I'll, I'll post that on, on the show notes page, localmaxradio.com uh, slash one twenty four. Uh, anything else before I talk about what we're going to next week? No, I mean, I, I think this fact-checking topic is going to be ripe for revisiting as as we... This is a lot more today a, than we thought. As a country, figure out how we're going to tackle it. Uh, I, yeah. I don't think it's going to get simpler, between certainly between now and the election, and I don't think it's going to go away after that. So uh, yeah. you know, keep keep watching for, for developments. I'm sure there'll be more to talk about in the future. All right. So given that we are having election, I'm going to start a two-part series next week on the Electoral College, which is how we elect the president here in the United States. I know with all the emotions flying high, it's uh, it's kind of strange to just have a common collected discussion about the Electoral College, but it's important. I know I have a lot of international listeners. Uh, this is going to be, I'm going to work to make it interesting for you as well, but there are two parts to this. The first, we're going to hear about the Electoral College system from a defender of that system, uh, someone who's been writing about it for a long time, and I have an interview there. Uh, then in the second part, uh, I interviewed someone who was an actual elector. That's the small number of people who end up actually choosing the president in the end. And so this person was an elector, and um, and I talked to him about his experience. Uh, so 
Um, we're going to talk about that. And then I'm going to do kind of a more mathematical social choice analysis of what's going on with our, our presidential election uh, and, um, you know, what are the pros and cons of this type of system. So I'm looking forward to that. If you have anything to add, definitely email localmaxradio at gmail.com because I, you know, I haven't finished these yet. And um, I'm looking forward to getting these out. I'm definitely eager to hear from the actual elector. That'll be kind of a neat experience. That, yeah. Uh, that's and, cool. and we haven't, we haven't heard that much discussion of it in, in the last few months, but uh, there's been a lot of bit, a lot of talk about banning the electoral college in favor of the popular. Oh, vote. So, we're, we're covering so, that a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a topic that I, I think we're going to get a lot of uh, passionate input on. All right. Thanks for joining me today, Aaron. My pleasure. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.